This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. Welcome to the first show of the new year of Drive Alive. Fresh new show, fresh new year, fresh FM. Still the same old cheesy introduction, though. Um, but unfortunately, we haven't got a fresh new guest. But that's actually good because he's been on before uh, and he's got an awful lot of interesting stuff to say. So uh, we'll introduce him in a few seconds. But first, thank you to NPD Fuels for sponsoring us every fortnight. You can fill up with their fuels at any NPD station around the region. Just look for the blue and white, I think, symbols by the road time. Particularly recommend their 100 plus octane fuel if you've got a car that likes that sort of thing. Anyway, we will now go and do our part two with Mr. Adrian Curtis of Tires and More. Welcome back, Adrian. Thank you very much. It's good to have you. Did you have I, a... I thought you might mention my fresh shirt. Well, uh, well, yes, it can hardly miss it. It's true. That's a, that, I should have mentioned your fresh shirt. You're quite Seriously, right. Seriously, you missed it. Uh, you're quite right. That is a very fresh shirt. A shirt built for radio, one would say. Built for radio in only. Indeed. It's saying we can't do radio vision on the show because that is a seriously cool shirt i'm impressed thank you i'm just wearing boring gray here (laughs) it's just not not so not so cool at all but anyway did did you have a good christmas break did you get a break uh we worked pretty much right through we got to have a couple of walks in the weekends which was good so we went across to Abel Tasman, had a swim. That was oh, nice. nice. Yeah, I did walked up a few them. hills and threw a few bushes and had some lovely food and some lovely company. Great. So I can't complain too much about that. Great, because your your so your company tires and more, which is now let me get the street right. It's in so I'm going to say Vincent Street. Oh, you're amazing! It is in St. Oh, Vincent Street. I was, I was between Vincent and Vanguard in Nelson. I toss a coin and which one I get. But yeah, so you. You kept pretty busy over the, the Yeah, so then. we certainly had plenty on with our visitors to the region as well as our local people travelling away. There's always things to do to cars over summer to keep them going. So certainly we had a busy old time in that gap in between. Right, so there were, there were a few people maybe who hadn't sort of prepped their cars before the big trip? or did Yeah, there's always a bit of that that goes on as well as just the regular maintenance stuff that people sort of... Uh, Forget about preps. Forget so, about, yeah. yeah. I suppose some of the cars might have been stood up for a while, potentially, over this last yeah, year. Yeah, there has probably so been a bit of that. There has been a bit of cars and caravans. Well, I suppose at this time of the year, really, it's more boats and caravans and trailers that need a lot of work before people travel away. Or, unfortunately, that haven't had a lot of work before they travel uh-huh. away and they find there's an issue when they get to Nelson. 
Uh-huh. So that's a definitely a, a summer tip, get that stuff done early. Yeah, so if you're still planning your summer trip, do and you haven't kind of done it, and you're going to take a vehicle, trailer, motorhome, motorbike, whatever, call in someone who knows what they're doing to have it checked over properly. So, so one of the things we were talking about beforehand is, um, I think you were saying, big mileages are done over the summer and stuff by yeah so the national drivers. average uh that people travel is fourteen thousand kilometers but just in our you know pre-live on air conversation i was thinking about it certainly more kilometers must be done during the summer people do tend to go away for more breaks during the yep. summer they do tend to go out in their boats more they do tend to take their caravans out more so i'd imagine the six thousand kilometers done probably in the winter and eight thousand kilometers during the summer yeah quite a bit so really if we are going to be planning those trips away it's certainly a good time to be paying some attention to our cars however thinking about it i used to live in rye valley i travel the hill every day and it amazed me how often i would see a boat a caravan a trailer or something like that parked on the side of the road with one member of the family who had the lucky task to wait because the wheel bring had gone or the trailer tyre had failed. Now, I think what people perhaps don't think about too much is often there's fifty or $100,000 worth of equipment in that caravan or look at a boat. So yeah. many boat motors are worth twenty or $30,000, let alone all of the electronics on it. So you're going to leave that boat on the side of the road. You're going away on a whole lot. Chances are the boat or the caravan's already packed with lots of stuff. Yeah. You can't fit that in the car and the spare tyre, go to town, get it, come back. That's a good so, point. Just thinking about, you know, have you had your wheel bearings checked? Have you even checked your tyre pressures? Do you have a spare? Can you fit the spare? Do you have a jack? Have you tried to take the tyre off when there's all the weight of the stuff in the boat? Is the jack strong enough to lift the trailer when the boat's on the trailer? All these little things yeah, because yeah. it's a very expensive and risky trip perhaps going maybe half an hour to town if you can find somebody to fix your wheel bring over the holidays if you can find somebody to change a tyre if you can get a tyre so it's a risk that people don't think about but driving to and from Rye Valley every day for 12 years I can certainly say uh, it's something that sometimes doesn't pay off Um, the boat now sailing down the fungamoas on the wrong side of the road is yeah uh, that sort of stuff really check those couplings really Grease everything on the on the on the trailer because yeah. you, you know. can imagine people might spend you know six figures on a boat and yeah absolutely six hundred bucks on the trailer it sits on kind of yeah thing. and it is in and out of the water all the time so a couple of the things that you'll see that happens is the um, the wheel bearings get hot it's got brakes there's a lot of load on the wheel bearings and it's super super hot and then you douse it in cold salty water and leave it sitting there when you go away mm-hmm. and then you bring it back. Same thing happens, but how much care and attention did you give to the bearings? Bearings don't like hot, cold, and salt water, and in theory right. they should be sealed well, but often they're not. Now, there's plenty of options out there to keep them lubricated, things called bearing buddies and that sort of thing, but certainly every year you need to have your trailer looked over thoroughly, caravans as well. Okay, so you're you're probably scaring a few motorists now, but I think in a good way to think I must proactively get this checked. Well, well I, I may be scaring them, but they'll be a lot scared or if they have to leave their wife and their $100,000 boat on the side of the road in the yeah. hope that they can get a wheel bring or a tyre. So then you've got to come back and re-hitch it on a twisty 
mountain road? Or? Well, I don't think the wife would want to be rehitched after she said to stay on the side of the road for two hours. I think she may think <laughs> no. about hitching in an entirely different way. I, you could well be right there. You could. Well she may be have right. already hitched by the time yes. he gets back. I've got somebody who looks after their trailer. Thank you. Yeah, so it, but it does make a difference. So you know, things like caravans. Um, we don't realise that they sit for most of the time with the hot sun going on and off the tyres. The tyres yep. perish, yep. so they never really wear out. They usually explode. Well, because what happens is the heating and the contraction through the hot and cold of the sun okay. means that the rubber gets harder and harder and harder and harder till when it does go on a little bit of a tour around, the flexing that's caused during the trip causes it to explode. So have you got any clues that kind of that's going to happen before, you know... Yeah, you can see when the tyres perish, there will be, certainly if it's an old tyre, that's common, but there'll be generally... Um, uh, ripples in the tyre, there will be um, cracks in the tyre okay. and you'll be able to see that. So one of the simple things is um, try and get yourself a decent jack, lift the tyres off the ground uh, so the caravan's actually up on blocks, Right. put a wood board or some form of sun protection over the tyre uh, so the tyre, when it's sitting there, is not always in that beating sun. Okay, that's good. So just little things like that will make the tyre last longer. Put some silicon protectant on the tyre so it's reducing the effects of the sun. Little things like that. Um, it's relatively simple stuff, and it may sound scary, but it's a lot scarier if you don't do it. Yeah. See, we're, we're only 10 minutes in, not even 10 minutes in, and there's already been at least five or six hugely useful tips. I hope so. Tires and more there. That's, I that's hope great. So. That's great. Okay, so um, look after those uh, tires and take the spend some money, a little bit of money at the start to perhaps not ruin your holiday. Yeah, because it does ruin people's on. holidays. There's no doubt about it. No. You want to get to your destination. You might have a booking. You might have a batch that you've got to to get somewhere. You might not catch a fish. No, that would be possibly disastrous. And and some of the routes presumably are going to be going. Some people go off in the unsealed road kind of territory, and that's yeah. going to be tough on. Tires and suspension. Yeah. As a minimum, just make yourself, just make sure you actually take for a boat or caravan, take two spares as a minimum. Right. Get yourself two spares. If you don't want to change your tires, that's fine. But make sure you have a process in place that you can change a tire and you actually have a tire to put on it. And the kids can play with them around the sort of batch garden while, you know, if they're not using them. Roll them about. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot better than them playing on the side of the road while you're changing <laughs> it. So just have to be aware of that. Yeah, that's true. Kids, don't play with tyres on the side of the road, okay? An important safety message from Drive Alive. Okay, that's great. So, um, what were we talking about? We were talking about uh, summer stuff and driving and things like that. Now, last time to you, what were we talking about? We were talking about... um, we were talking a little bit everything. about... Everything. We, we were, were talking, talking about, about absolutely everything. Go off down so many interesting <laughs> avenues. From, uh, what was it, hill climb stuff to racing Toyota Estimas. Have you come in your Toyota Estima tonight? I'm driving my Yaris GR tonight, the rally car Ooh. thing. So, it's cool. Yeah, no, that's cool. So, if you see these sort of beefy little souped up Yaris things around with big wheel arches, they're... they're they're really impressive They're cars. almost a cult car now, I think. Uh, they already are. So certainly it's unusual for a brand new car to come out and appreciate immediately by a significant amount. Wow. Um, they're, they're very rare worldwide, and certainly the New Zealand spec is even rarer. So supposedly 25,000 built, probably 3,000 of the top spec uh, that we're lucky enough to have in New Zealand. Right. 
So just to clar- clarify, this isn't an ordinary Yaris, okay, or, or Yaris GL. No, it's not this, something you'd get as a rental car. No, no, this is a Yaris GR. Yeah, so what a normal does GR Yaris stand for? Does it stand uh, for? Gazoo Racing. It's their racing division of right. Toyota oh, okay. that's been involved in uh, lots of Formula stuff, uh, World Rally cars, all sorts of different areas. It's their performance division. Right. Okay. So yeah, that sounds a uh, so not in the Estima tonight, but um, I will be taking that, I think, back to the racetrack. Oh, I think I'm going February 13th, that and another car down there to do some hot laps and see how it goes. What, do, have, you, have you started like a bit of a craze here that people turn up in people carriers and, and race? I them? just tend to race whatever I've got my hands on, so it just happened that, that so the, those events, I had a four-wheel drive steamer and I wanted to see what I could do, that was in the past. Uh, although I did race in an event the other day in one of my loan cars, the cars that would some because it was blue and my brother had a blue car and All right. they were both Toyota somethings, Yaris's Echoes, something like an Echo, okay. so a thirteen hundred cc car. Although so it turns out I cheated. Did you? It turns out I did. So my brother knows has more of those cars than I did, and it's called us something. I don't know, a little Toyota RS thing. They normally have little, little engines. Right. My brother's has a 1300. It turns out, I find out afterwards, mine had a 1400cc. So I raced in the wrong class. It's terrible. I don't know. So there's a lesson, people. Don't leave your cars lying around anywhere where Adrian can get his hands on because he'll just go ground, take it racing. <laughs> Finds a Toyota Estima lying around, he'll take it racing. Finds a little... It might be a slight exaggeration, but it does sound like fun. It does sound, it does sound a lot of fun see people in racing cars being overtaken by a Toyota Estima that sounds like it was funny it was very funny just want the video camera on their faces when it's like I just want to see that (laughs) so want to see that we'll do that next time you did take the kids out the back though didn't you didn't you didn't have the kids or pets in the back or the Uh, I didn't I I, sorry I did even I had some stuff in it Um, you did have stuff in it Gary Adcock from um, who who, is famous for much of his racing um, but also as the owner of Car2 Park did laugh about it because uh, it did so well and it still had things in the back he tells me so that was, was, was that putting extra weight where it was needed or something? Well, even like it's it. a van and I use it for work and I did have stuff in the back and it was flying around a little bit and I really <laughs> shouldn't have done that. But, uh, hey, we were out there to have fun and we did. <laughs> There's got to be some video of that somewhere on YouTube. There is. There some, is. There is. Go Google Toyota Some videos. Okay. Some videos will Or have you could look up, if you want to look up something from racing, I suppose, uh, you could look up Ruapuna, as in the racetrack in oh, Christchurch, yeah, yeah. and X3. X3. That's my diesel SUV that I drive okay. at the racetrack in a that video. A diesel SUV now? The, yes. Yes. The person who made that video was quite surprised how fast it was. <laughs> so it was good. Anyway, Can't you could look that up. Beep, beep, keep up with the beep, beep thing. Yes. Right. Something like that. Okay. Well, so I'm going to ask you one, one of the questions in the original list that we didn't quite get around to asking. Did we actually so ask many any? Did we questions. ask no. any of the? No, no, we didn't. Did we ask I suspect one? It may not no. happen this time. But I'm going to try. <laughs> Here we go. Let's go and through the make list. Make sure. Hit me with it. What got you into transport, racing, tyres, cars? How did it all start? Why uh, did it all start? I suppose, I suppose my father was quite interested in driving he used to talk about lines and braking and all those sorts of things so I suppose that gained us a me and my brothers an interest in that when we were young and then we lived up Cobb Dam Uh, and up Cobb Dam we would 
we started hunting from a very young age and we oh, had yeah. to drive to various places. Yeah, yeah. And so we learned to drive on a gravel road uh, uh, when we were reasonably young. I suppose right. we were 12 or 13, we learned to drive up there. And that gravel's uh, good for teaching gravel opposite really lock good. and all that yeah. stuff. And, and snow as well. All right. Lots of snow. So I suppose we got a passion for driving then, uh, and one thing led to another, and I got asked if I wanted to drive various things. I rode, I drove some go-karts for a short period of time in Nelson. Uh-huh. Uh, then took a break from motorsport till I was about 36 or something right. like that. So you were like seriously competing in go-karts then up to... Yeah, I did, I did quite well in go-karts. Uh-huh. I ended up in Wellington. I think I won a fair few things up there when Ooh. I was about 20. Uh, and had had really the wrong chassis and the wrong engine to be fair, but still did okay. Yeah. Um, I raced on the famous Nissan Mobile 500 circuit, put in a go kart against Greg Murphy and some other people. Mr. Murphy. Yeah, and I podiumed there. So that was wow. good. Um, and then gave it up after I moved to Auckland. Gave up in Auckland, and then my brother got involved in racing uh, down here. We bought a Honda VTEC for him on a very interesting trip to live in, which we'll cover on another day. Okay. Um, I like the sound of this. this is, that was a very interesting trip, and he got involved in it. And um, he, let's say I drove the car once and had to end up buying one for myself because um, <laughs> I was doing okay in it. So you're doing got a, okay. Got a car myself and then continued to race from there. So he, he wasn't going to get all the fun then? No, the no, he wasn't with... We've had a very competitive uh, few years when we were racing together, it was fair to say. Okay. Mm. Right, no quarter given by either one then? No, absolutely not. No. No. Ooh. Ooh. I'll have to get him on the show and hear his side of the story somewhere. Oh, yeah, it'd be great to hear his side of the story. It'd be good. (laughs) You'd be phoning in and saying, that's not true. I don't know that he would. I I think think the story would be fairly accurate from either side, to be fair. Okay, okay. Mm. We'll give it that. We'll give it that then. Okay. So, motors back into motorsport in your thirties, then. Yeah, then I did all the national championship stuff. Um, so we raced uh, across the country, and that's when we sort of won all our titles, I suppose. Um, we had a Honda CRX um, mm. 1600, but we were never really too concerned about winning the 1600cc class. We always wanted to win the open class. Right. So we what did that. What defines the open class then? That's you just got to win the overall race. You got to beat all the four drives and everybody that's there. In any th- anything? It doesn't matter what they drive. You just wanted to win the overall event. So wow. Okay. We would have won, I don't know how many races, maybe 60 or 70 times we won our class probably, and about 30% of the time maybe we won the open class. So okay. this was all about uh, really thinking about everything to do with your driving. You couldn't afford to lose a second. You had to be very, very, very tidy. Lots of preparation. Didn't have all the flash tyres and that sort of thing. Uh, I remember once I was lucky enough to enter the Picton Hillclimb Championship twice and won the Open Class twice. Um, And there was just so many ultra-competitive cars there. And one of the things I remember is that it's only a 44-second Hillclimb. It's got to be about precision. So you can't make a single mistake on that. You can't make a mistake. So the only two places I could win was a different line around the top corner and going through the chicane, I had to make sure I braked as late as I could but not make a mistake. So many cars crashed on the day that I got one practice one and one run to try and win the final. So I was lucky enough to be fastest in the practice. But I remember going through a corner and my car didn't have a lot of horsepower at about 150. 
55 kilometres an hour. A corner. A corner, but not looking at really at the road. I knew what my arc was going to be, but I was looking at my hands because every time I move the steering wheel, the car will slow down. The tiniest movement okay, of your hands yeah. is more friction, so you don't want to be wobbling that steering wheel. You don't want to be sawing. You want to have your perfectly smooth steering wheel. So I did what's called a four-wheel drift. So the, all four wheels were just at the maximum of their grip right through the corner, but not really looking at the road. I knew I'd get to the right place on the road if I held my line, which I did. But it was just one of those moments that I remember. I went through. I realised... I'd driven as fast as I could because it's one of the only times I can remember having so much adrenaline in my system that I was shaking. Oh, right. You were kind of on your limit. I was on. But one of the reasons that happened is it's about 35 degrees in Blenheim on a hot day. And there'd been a crash just before my run. My run was the last run of the day. And I had to sit in a race suit with a helmet in a race car on the start-finish line for about 15 or 20 minutes. And I think the heat probably got to me as much as anything else is the anticipation. But it's those little tiny things you have to do if you want to win things in a car that's not as fast as everybody else's. You have to spend more time thinking, uh, less time worrying about what other people are doing, and getting everything so absolutely precise. Because you don't have the horsepower to win. The only way you can win is a better line, better thinking, and don't make a mistake. Did you get to walk that hill beforehand? Well, I was lucky enough to be... I I picked up a thing. I think observation is really, really important. So there was only Mm -hmm. two places I could possibly be any faster, through the chicane and at the top right-hand corner where people were crashing all the time. Mm -hmm. So I stood up on top of the hill and I looked down at everybody's line to try and figure out where you should be because it was a blind corner. Right. So you didn't really know where you should be on the approach to the corner. So I had to sort of look at 30 cars going past or whatever that was going when I was up there and just analyse where do I want my car to be? What line do I want to be on? And I think that got me an extra 10 kilometres an hour through the last corner wow. just by sitting there, just by which that. is probably the only reason why I was able to beat the other cars. Well, it sounds like you would have put a few things together in combination to do all that. But th- this is going up a hill climb. Hills presumably have drops if you get it wrong or not I think if you way? if you're worried about the drops the trees and the spectators you're doing it wrong you're doing it wrong okay you should be a hundred percent focused on what you're doing so you don't hit the tree don't hit the spectator and don't go off the drop yeah, yeah. there's all of those things I mean it's still a dangerous sport people yeah. do get killed not so much today because we've got lots of safety things lots of safety stuff. but if you in any sport are a hundred percent focused on what you're doing you can't think about those things at no. all no I've had one incident where I suppose I've thought about it I was lucky enough to drive a gentleman local guy who's now passed away Bud Norder I got to drive his Austin Healy at um, uh, Hamden Downs and right. I'd raced all day everything went it couldn't have actually gone any better the car won every single lap all day which, which was really cool but in one of the last laps a friend of mine had crashed on the corner at about 180 and had a concrete wall some time before in a full race car and he'd been pretty badly bruised he got hit by another car from behind and um I was approaching the same corner about the same speed, but because it was a classic car, it had no roll cage, no full harness belts, mm. no safety protection systems. So I had a lap belt, and basically a lap, a car, belt. A lap belt in a car that was built in 1960 doing 110 miles an hour ish yeah. in the rain. Oh, in the rain. On road tyres. Um, <laughs> and it just occurred to me at that point in time that if this went wrong, because it was popping out a third and the windscreen wipers weren't working, um, it occurred to me that um, cause if things went wrong there, it would go really, really wrong. Yeah. 
but you can't focus on that no you know so what you you focus on is just being as smooth and as tidy as you possibly can and therefore you won't crash and therefore it doesn't matter that you got a lap bill yes focus on the immediate task. focus on what you do to Not save your what life might happen or correct might go, yeah yeah okay wow that's quite something yeah it was interesting times that's quite something so i'm going to roll it right back when did you first pass your driving test? 15 years old on the day I was 15. On the day you were 15, That's correct. you went and passed it first time? Yep. And when did your brother pass his driving test? I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I would imagine he was just the same. <laughs> I, would have, I would think he would have been the same. Okay. So this this man was keen to get on the road yeah, somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you had to back then. When did you pass yours? On mm-hmm. the day you were 15? No. No. Uh, it's nice weather we're having, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> out, out here. Nice weather we're having. Oh my goodness. Look at the birdie. Yeah, Don't look at the birdie. talk about when I pass my driving test. Tweet, 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 Do tweet. you actually have a license? I've got to look, look. I know you can't see it on radio, but there's my license, okay? It's a good looking radio license. That's my Scrum. license. You actually have one. I do have one. And Just what was it like passing it last week? To, ooh. This is the last <laughs> time he's coming back on the show. <laughs> Not being a part three. Not being a part three. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, you got me. <laughs> so it only took one go it took one day yep um what was your first car then Datsun 1600 you s- s- knew that off the top of it you probably half built it or modified strangely it. enough I did strangely <laughs> <laughs> terrible story really terrible go on so, tell us a terrible story uh, uh, Vivian if you're listening you'll remember this <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether my mother will but anyway okay uh, so once upon a time I had Datsun 1600 and um <laughs> it used to smoke uh, it, unfortunately i bought it for i think a thousand dollars maybe something like okay, that okay okay unfortunately the the rings were seized and it wasn't so flash so cut a long story short we had to rebuild the engine in the bedroom of my flat as you do as you do newspaper everywhere <laughs> pistons <laughs> con rods crankshaft everything uh-huh. just, yeah so um I was very clean and tidy. I'm sure I didn't get any oil on the floor, but it was a strange place to build an engine, I have to say. Mm. What a fantastic car. Datsun 1600's amazing. Certainly would have one in a heartbeat today, but it would cost me $30,000 to get one the same. Because you imagine all your parents coming along and saying, what are you doing in your bedroom to teenagers, which is you know, the riling question. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't flatting me. I was older. You're not, I was flatting. Oh, it, wasn't okay. even, it wasn't my parents' house. It wasn't house. even playing your You're no. not rebuilding an engine in there, are you? No. No, it sounds like no. I'm rebuilding an engine. I'm actually doing something completely different. It's completely It's not different. an engine in here. No. Okay. <laughs> we built an engine in your In flat. my bedroom. Right. And then put it back in the car and, yes. And it went and well. It went. I can't remember whether it went well or not, but it went. Okay. Well, that's and we had it for quite some time. Nice. So the Datsun 1600. Very good car. Loved it. How many times did you nearly crash it? don't think I got near crashing that. I'm sure I must have. I don't remember. He's honed his skills already by then. I I did have one near miss once. One Not in that car. In my parents' car some years later. Did they know? I drove a lot back then. A lot. A lot. Okay. Do they know that I did that? Because this is being recorded. Probably not. So you might want to think about how Mum, it didn't happen. Do you remember that yellow Datsun? I rang my mum. She might be listening. She might not be. My father built a Datsun 120Y, sort of pretty much from oh, the ground up. Well, he found this thing in a shed and he like painted it. sunny... The same sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, wow, okay. And I was going possibly a little bit too fast with some of my friends. And we were going down the Fairdown Strait in Westport. 
right? And for whatever reason, I was catching. They had much faster cars than I did, and I was slowly catching them. This uh, is in your parents' car. In my parents' car. Mm-hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, they turned off the tar seal onto the gravel, a right-angle turn. But they were slowing up so much, the car didn't perhaps have the best brakes in the world. Uh, and I was doing a, a possibly a number of kilometres an hour that I shouldn't have been doing. They shouldn't have been doing. And uh, I don't think I actually got near a crossing, uh, near, near crashing, but I locked a wheel, which is very unusual for me. I've always been quite good on the brake pedal, so oh, okay. I would never normally So you lock can do the cadence up. braking and all that ultimately without... All of that stuff. But in theory, I'd stuff. try not to get to cadence. i try and be smoother than that because that's upsetting the balance of the shock absorber. So cadence is great oh, yeah, if you're okay. having a wee... If you're not super smooth and you don't know where the exact lock-up point is, cadence is great. Because they hadn't invented ABS in those... Well, they had, but not on that. Yeah, well, basically, I just let my foot off the brake once I locked it up. But I know it gave me a bit of a scare and the car went quite sideways. So I was a little bit surprised. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, uh, yes, so that was probably my first experience that Products. I can remember. Of. Oh no, one more. <laughs> Cobb Dam. My Cobb father Dam. had a yellow Skoda with mag wheels. Yellow Skoda with mag what, wheels, like a one twenty whatever they were, or whatever. Yeah, they were. the rear wheel. The, yeah, yeah, the mid-engine rear wheel. No, rear engine. Rear engine. Rear, rear engine thing. Yeah. Amazing for gravel roads and in the snow. Amazing. Better course, than better than yeah. the Land Rover back You've then. It was incredible. Got all the all the weight in the back on wheels. The drive wheels. Amazing. So I did get something wrong. I was zooming up to do a hunt at Pete Flat, halfway down Cobb Dam, and I just got my line a little bit wrong, and there was a hole on the left-hand side of the road, and um, I got my left front wheel in that hole at about probably only 80 kilometres an hour. It was a gravel road. Uh-huh. But it did take me quite some time to correct the car going down the road. I was definitely <laughs> sideways, left, sideways, right, sideways, left, side. Ooh, a bit of a tank for slapper. For some time. A bit of a tank slapper then. Well, I can imagine the the weight's just all in the uh, yeah rear engine car it's just like right. a Porsche or a VW in terms yes. of the way they go the moral of the story is if the weight is way over the back wheels like it is with a Porsche a Skoda or a VW never let your foot off the throttle ah. if you let the foot off the throttle what happens is the car will immediately snap, snap and you'll back. go off the road bang with right. those sort of cars, if you get it really wrong on a so corner, on, you put you your foot down. You have to keep your foot down, and so you've got to do it all in the steering then. So basically, you don't want to add to the mass of the rear rotating faster. So okay. basically, you can do this in two ways. If you spin out, you either put your foot completely flat if it's on a corner. So Not with a Skoda, it would make no difference. If you're in a 300 <laughs> horsepower Porsche, it would make a difference. Skoda's in a Porsche, if you spin out. One of the early Porsches, not the modern Caymans, yeah, yeah, had yeah. the engine in the middle. Well, the engine at the back, because it's a pendulum, you can't let your foot off. Because what will happen is the pendulum will swing the motor back into line or even further than in line. And if you're going in a left-handed corner, you will drive off the bank in the right. And with the early rear-engine cars, battery, fuel right. tank in the front, explosion, death. So what you do instead of that, if you have any horsepower like you're driving a Porsche, and you're going around a corner and you start to spin, put your foot as flat as you can. The car will rotate on that side of the road normally and you'll be fine. But you don't have any more horsepower in a Skoda. In the Skoda, I had to ride it out. Don't take your foot off and just try and steer your way out of it, but don't take your foot off because you increase the pendulum. So it took about 100 yards perhaps for me to get the car as straight as I should have been able to get it. (laughs) 100 yards? I would say it was 100. It was quite a way. That was quite nerve-wracking. Is one word, possibly. Yes. There's probably been a fair few race incidences since then where similar things have happened. Right, okay. But but you kind of feel, well, there's marshals and fire extinguishers and 
Yeah, well, one where a very similar thing happened that I just thought of is my uncaged Honda CRX, the first thing I raced in Nelson. And it was a local hill climb, and a friend of mine had told me the breaking point. Now, either I didn't see the breaking point or I misunderstood the breaking point. Do, do they actually put, they don't put no. the breaking point no, up you on just the like, track? You have to it's work the, that it's out. It's the tree with the peaches and the, oh, okay. Um, okay. If you, generally if you see like a baboon hanging in the tree, that's probably not the right one, you've probably gone too far. <laughs> but, you know, there was something supposedly, a marker on the side of the road. I wasn't really sure where to break, but right. the marshals did tell me afterwards. It was funny because you're the only car that went down there without braking. <laughs> I braked way the too late. The brake line was back. Uh, there was no way I was going to make the corner. And um, luckily, the corner was actually a Y junction. So I was able to go straight ahead. Ah. But there was okay. uh, perhaps some marshals there and some <laughs> motorsport tape over that road. Uh, however, it was relatively obvious that I wasn't going to make the corner, nor was I going to attempt it. Okay, the I was doing about 160. <laughs> uh, luckily, I think the marshals were from side to side, so it was okay. Unfortunately... <laughs> It went off a gravel road onto a wet clay road, and at 160 on a wet clay road with grass and clay, I don't know how long it took to stop, but I think it was possibly a little bit longer than yep. what it did at Cobb Dam. But I do remember Your wheels were just very carefully soaring on the wheel to try and keep the car in a straight line on a road which had a very round profile. So that was one of my more entertaining motorsport moments. And since then, I've probably had very few, wow. I would say, in all the motorsport events I've ever done. Okay, so that probably taught you a lot about car control as well in terms of... Car control or death. Or I death. think that's the two things, <laughs> okay. yeah. Because they didn't have a cage back then, those cars. Jeez. So if you get that wrong at 160, and uh, yeah, that wouldn't have been good. Just no. don't get it wrong. It had more than a lap belt, hopefully, but not... He's thinking... I had a shoulder belt then. There's no cage and just a shoulder strap, yeah. No, not a racing harness then. Not a racing harness. Jeez. That was in the early days of racing when that's what everybody raced. Okay. Glad to see you here. <laughs> Very glad to see you here. Right. So we've done that. I've got... Yeah, we're not going to get through all the questions. But hey, we're getting some really interesting stuff. <laughs> so what... You are obviously seriously passionate, seriously nuts about driving. Why? What does it for you? I think car control is really important to me. It's not an easy skill. The more people you race against the more people you drive with you realize it's a very very rare quality to be able to control a car with some precision even not at speed even not um, at speed. it's very rare when you will sit next to someone driving and their hands move very smoothly across the steering wheel they're not chunking when they're not lifting the foot on and off the throttle all the time and uh-huh, varying their uh-huh. speed when they're not using the road fully when they're not looking as far ahead as they possibly can and observe what's coming up so i suppose my enjoyment of drivery is driving is is perhaps the mastery of a thousand things that most people have never thought of uh-huh because we just climb in the car shut the door press the pedal, and off we go and then committing as many of those to the subconscious so you can learn as many of the new things consciously to move to that next level right and there's no level you can go to so I I think I've won four New Zealand titles and I think that I can drive a lot faster. I don't believe I've got anywhere near the next level of driving that I can do. So finally, shortly, I'll have a very fast car that I'm getting soon that I'll be able to test just how good I am against some of the very fast guys in the country. 
So where, where are you going to test that? Uh, I want to do the Deniston Hill Climb, which is a national hill climb. All right, yeah. Um, in a few weeks' time. I'd like to do the Ashburton Street Sprint. Again, that's probably the fastest street sprint, street sprint guys in the country. Uh, I'd like to go to Rupuna and do a few events there and just see what sort of a lap time I can get. So it'll be really interesting to see. But, uh, yeah, mastery, I suppose, is the mastery answer. Is I enjoy getting everything right, and that's very, very, very hard to do. Because you're, you're probably doing it almost without thinking on an, another... Like I'm certainly said, doing a lot... it to a subconscious, yeah. and then can I do a little bit better? Yeah. So the vast majority of things you're doing subconsciously, and, and, and we are talking hundreds of things at a time. When you consider doing a motor car course, for example, you might, um, you might use the steering wheel 20 times. Uh, you might use the clutch once. You might change gear once. You might use the handbrake once in 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. 20 seconds, probably 40 different actions that you're doing in 20 seconds. It's such a rapid, hard-paced thing. So if we could all learn to drive in motocanas, which are the small circuit skills things, generally in first gear, maybe oh, yeah. in reverse as well. If we learn to those very fast reaction, lots of movement things well, driving at 200 becomes very easy. Everything appears so slow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So doesn't, like then the average motorist drive you nuts no. on an average road going around because there must be some things d- does oh yeah there's some terrible things they do I w- we were driving to the New Zealand Motorsport Awards my son and I at the top of the Wongamoas and I was watching this guy drive and I said he's going to spin out you know he was going into the corners too fast steering too aggressively and right. two corners later he crashed the car you know really oh. just the most important things are brake earlier you know Make your lines of vision greater. Use the yep. road with the thought of, can I see the person come in the other way before you turn into the centre of the road? People turn into the centre of the road when they're going around the corner way too early, and there's nowhere to go when something goes wrong. No, wrong so all yeah. these things, yes, they do frustrate me sometimes. And they don't teach you this sort of thing on the uh, driving test or anything, do they? And it's whether <laughs> That you is a source of frustration for yeah, me, I have to say. Yeah, a source of frustration, because the, the, the driving test is quite basic, and we don't kind of do anything more after that well there's no the, I was involved uh, with Toyota New Zealand their um, driver training system that they had going for many years as a lot of New Zealand uh, Nelson Car Club members and other car club members around the country were and the frustrating thing was the children weren't really at a different skill level to the people that have been driving for 30 years the I, people who've been driving 30 yeah. years had more experience they'd seen more things happen yeah but were their physical skills any better no they were about the same Ouch. they had more experience they knew what to avoid perhaps but yeah. their physical driving ability excluding of course leading out the clutch and being smooth with the gearbox of course <laughs> the children were nowhere near as good as that yeah, yeah but other than that their physical ability to avoid an object their physical ability to traction sense to turn to brake wasn't really a lot different. So, how do we ma- how do we make that better? Because I mean, New Zealand still has a pretty horrendous road amount of road deaths. I think we're one of our sort of highest for many. Oh, there's so many, many reasons years, for that. And um, it's yeah, yeah it's I certainly. Uh, I've done a lot of analysis on this particular topic, and uh, driving is certainly a significant part of it. Um, there's no doubt about it. Uh-huh. You know, we keep on hammering safety distances, uh, following distances, but people always follow way too close. Yep. Hence the number of rear ends that we have. And this is coming from a racing driver who's sort of, you know, it's one of the things is 
I've got to get past yeah, this guy. Just, it's just guy. the craziest thing that <laughs> the best way for you to pass a car is not to follow it closely. Uh-huh. Don't follow the car closely. But what does everybody do? The passing lane comes up, all of the lines of traffic bunch right up. They're so close to the car, they can't really efficiently pass that car. No. And they're spending more time on the opposite side of the road than they should. Which is it's not ridiculous. where you want to be. But also, they're restricting their vision. Yes. The closer you get to the car in front of you, the less you can see on either side of that car in front of you. Yep. The further you go back, the narrower the V. The narrower yep. the V of visibility that you have means that you can see on either side of the car in front of you. So if a tractor pulls out on a side road or a truck comes around the wrong side of the road on in front of the car that you were following, you can actually see it. So you yeah. won't need to pass the car. You'll back in. Yeah, it's like those trucks have the signs on the backs. If you can't see my mirrors, I can't see you, and you're too All close, and you haven't got yeah. the vision because you're way up my backside. Well, so there's a terrible lack of thinking, but the lack of thinking comes from a lack of teaching. Yes, uh, that's and how yes, and how do we develop that? Should there be, you know, ten year refreshers or? Oh, there's, um, there's so much knowledge that's never imparted to or? young or old drivers. I mean, racing cars, yes, it's a good way to learn how to drive on the track, but you can't. You can use only about 50% of the race driving techniques on the road. I'm not talking about speeding. I'm yep. talking about the techniques we learn on the racetrack teach you great car control skills. They get you out of trouble. Uh-huh. But it's an interesting debate I have with my brother, actually. You asked about differences in our driving. So my brother is technically faster than me, but mentally slower than me. So he has an incredible talent for getting out of trouble. My talent is not getting into trouble. <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay. So I can drive at 99% of my ability 99% of the time. Right. What happens with him is he'll overcook things. And while he may beat me in a lap from time to time because he's technically better, it's not about beating me in one lap. You've got it's to about beating me in a thousand laps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. being able to do things consistently requires a certain amount of mental control. Yeah. Well, the same thing applies to driving on the road. Yeah. You've got to be thinking all of the time. Yeah. And that's... That's a challenge in our electronic age, and and is it or is it because obviously you you will be driving manuals all the time? In, no, certainly no? not. No, no I've okay. only just got manual cars again now. Oh, okay, uh, I don't really have a you know driving an automatic is probably an easier thing. It's probably a better thing to learn in and a better thing to continue to drive. Because because our cars they're doing more stuff for us. We're feeling more distant. We're feeling more cocooned. Are we learning still learning the driving technique? No, we're not. No, absolutely. You, you, cruise control is terrible. The truck crash that was recently uh, occurred in Blenheim was because of cruise control. A truck cruise just, control. I was over there doing some work and I came back and I was lucky enough to know some of the investigators. Um, and cut a long story short, um, it turns out that if you're driving with cruise control on, you can't have proper throttle control w- with the vehicle. And when mm-hmm. you don't have proper throttle control it's a tiny amount of throttle that will cause an imbalance in the vehicle and throw you off the road in this case the truck was carrying a massive amount of weight on the back uh, and it went off the road because the truck thought well I'm going up a bit of a hill I need to put some throttle down and when you've got a I don't know what they are five or six hundred horsepower truck that lot of throttle means a lot of movement in the body and unfortunately just happened at the wrong time pushed the car off the side of the pushed the truck off the side of the road so things like that cruise control Great on the straights going to Canterbury. Not so good on the corners. Dangerous in the corners. Don't use it up the Funga Mowers or Tuckaga Hill and kind of thing. Yep. That is one advantage of the Yaris that has uh, radar cruise control and a manual. If you've got a manual car that has radar cruise control, uh, best combination you could possibly have because it can't accelerate incredibly quickly when it's stuck in one gear. 
Right. And automatic, what it tends to do is the cruise control says, I want you to go 10 kilometres an hour faster. It puts the foot down hard enough to chop down a gear. That causes an imbalance in the car or the truck in this case. And then you've got some problems. Okay. So modern technology can be good and can be bad. If you do, if you are lucky enough to have a modern cruise control radar cruise car, set it to the maximum following distance. Don't set it to two bars. Set it to three bars, which can. is around about, in our old terms, a thousand and one, a thousand and two, a thousand and three, a thousand and four, probably. Yep. Whereas that's not what the way you and I were taught following distances. We were just following too closely. Yeah. Don't do it. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting because it just does cut down your time if anything goes wrong. Cuts down your time making. to make a decision. Yeah, as much of your time in a normal road car when you approach an accident scene that you're about to be in is taken thinking about taking your foot from the accelerator yeah. to the brake as it is stopping. Yeah, it and doubles our stopping time. The third second thing that's quite relevant is that you don't brake hard enough. Mercedes and all of these modern cars use collision sensing devices to ensure that we are using 100% of the braking. Yeah. started with Mercedes. Now they all do it. Yeah. What it does is it senses an accident's about to happen. It senses that we've got our foot down as hard as we can, but generally we're only braking at about 70% of the potential braking capacity of the car. So the car now takes over the braking control system and gives you 100% of braking. So why don't people brake? Because most cars now would have ABS even you know, in the last... 15 years they've got abs that's pretty good system why aren't people using it correctly because they don't know what it feels like well when when doing the question is when were you taught to break out it does not don't do an emergency do do stop in the test no no so I, when are you actually going to learn that's a good point when i took my teenagers one of the first things when, once they got going on the road I said right we are going to do an emergency stop and I, you're going to feel what the car feels like what the brakes feel like what the steering feels like how the weight transfers let's do it good. did you do it on the gravel I didn't did do, you do it, it on, on the gravel. grass. No, I should have done it on the gravel. Did you well. do it on the ice? No, see, that's so all different as well. So one particular condition, you taught your children with one particular car. Yeah, and what if it's raining? Now, well, what if they don't have a car with ABS? So no. you talked about the cadence braking. What about when it's a manual? What about when it's an automatic? What about when it's got fat tyres? There are so many things yeah. that are relevant to this. You know, what about when the tyre pressures aren't right? What about when you're going around a corner? What do we do? So the thing is... Driving a huge array of cars and teaching people to drive things. Really interesting, very capable young man at my work. Um, uh, at 18 years old, took his, I taught him to drive properly, how I would have taught my son to drive, and very capable. Now, he never wanted to drive all the other vehicles at work. He never wanted to drive a truck, a ute, mm-hmm. and all these other things. But we learn through driving a wide range of things. That's true. Now, who That's knows? True. If the next job is in Blenheim and he's got to take the ute there, wouldn't it be good if he knew how to drive the truck or the ute rather than just his own car? Yeah, yeah. So we must give people variety. We don't know what they're going to be doing in their working lives. The boss might give them the new Mercedes to drive. Equally, he might give them the Toyota highest van. They're totally different cars. Yeah. But it's just a car, isn't it? Well, it's not. Yeah. Rear-wheel drive, front-wheel drive, ABS braking, not ABS braking. And you probably only might get one chance to learn. One chance to learn is not works. really enough. If not if it's an accident situation. No, no, that is true. Things like um, when I would drive to work on the Wonga Mars, staying in the frost grit and the ice is the best thing you can do. It's not the line that everybody else drives in, but it's the safest line. It's got some grip. Yeah. Learn when you're driving in the ice like I was almost every day. Go on a safe place of road where it's big and wide, Push your brakes on hard and see what happens. Mm. 
yeah. learn what the colours of the road are that are rate, relating to grip and the colours of the road that are not relating to grip. Learn about the textures of the road. What are the grippy bits? What colour are they? Are they vibrating in my hands? Are they smooth in my hands? Are they making a noise because the front wheel's on the frost grit? Is the frost grit worn so it's more slippery than, um, than what the ice is at the moment? Because as the frost grit turns to mud, it's actually <laughs> really, really slippery. Yeah, that will be a different kind of sensation and stuff. Yeah, so it's, yeah, sort of, can we get all the, because how do you get the people actually learning this stuff and going, I mean, experience well, does some, but you can't okay. have experience in an emergency situation. And I believe our driving test system is pathetic. Uh-huh. Now, if you're in somewhere like Germany, try and get a license there. See how long it takes you and how much it costs you. You must learn to drive at night. You must learn to drive in the rain. You must learn to yeah. drive in the in the dry. You must show you're competent on the autobahn. Well, yeah, I believe at 160, I think they take you to quite a speed. Well, okay. So that's a hell of a process, isn't it? That is. How does that compare to our New Zealand process? Quick hour and you're done, round town. Yep. We don't drive them to Blenheim. We don't take them over the Wongamoas. No. I don't think we even drive people at night no, to don't. show them where to show, put their eyes. No emergency stop. Right. Do we demand that they drive in the rain? No. Do we tell them about ice? Do we get them to drive on the grass? And show them what ABS brakes, what happens with ABS brakes on the grass. <laughs> yeah. That's not okay. good. Or, or But people s- don't know about that. Or snow either. Or That's snow. Good. So there are many things when these safety control systems are an absolute disaster and not actually helping us at all. Yeah. But unless you know about them... It's getting that experience. That's got very morbid, isn't it? That's got very well, but it's good to discuss these things. If there's anything from anybody from Wahakotaki missing, I'll mash that up, but it's good that they might listen. Well, there's a couple of other things that are probably relevant about we talked about summer and driving. We talked about the vehicles. What we didn't talk about is an important thing called visco planning. Visco planning. Right. Talk so this is that. really important. So you've got ice in the winter, but you've got oil and sun and rain in the summer. So often in summer we get extended dry periods. Yeah. And what happens is all the trucks and the cars are driving over the roads and they're depositing oil and grease and diesel and all sorts of stuff in the road. The first day it rains after a significant period of dry, there are many, many, many accidents. Yeah. And that's because the rain goes into the road, lifts all those oils and things on the surface, and the road becomes as slippery as it does in ice. Yes, that's quite something that probably not a lot of people would know. Very, very careful that. The other time that's very, very weird, not so much in Nelson, but in the upper North Island where it's probably 38 degrees or maybe Alexandra, certain seal types bleed and if you're going a little bit fast and the seal is melting and running down the road, that can be very unnerving when trying to drive a car and quite slippery. So are there some clue, visual clues or handling clues? Very, very black. It's normally very, very black. Very, and very just black. look out for the black patches on the road on a very, very hot day. More on a hill than on the flat because it normally runs down a hill. The flat's not so much of an issue. You'll get through it and be okay. Twisty roads very very hot days you can actually lose a little bit of control on the front end of your car Mm. probably not so much to worry about here but it's about the observational skills that you're developing when seeing that and uh, well i mean what you mentioned about braking time there's the stopping distance of the car then and add to that the thinking distance of oh my goodness i need to do something and that's assuming you're 100 percent focused on what so so if you're distracted or talking or glancing at your mobile phone you're just Adding yeah. to the so as an example of this, high-performance cars will stop in 30 metres from 100 kilometres an hour with a good tyre. Normal cars will stop in 40 metres. 10 metres difference. That's quite significant. 40 metres. It's taking people 120 metres to stop. 
Yes. That's quite a long way. Thinking distance, 40 metres. Getting your foot from the accelerator to the brake, 40 metres. Stopping, 40 metres. Assuming you're stopping to the maximum of the car. And not thinking Most people aren't. aren't So, yeah, that's a significant concern. So I do a thing called left foot braking, which whenever I'm concerned about something, my left foot sits above the brake. Uh, Driving instructors will frown upon that. However, what it means is I'm probably more likely to stop on about 40 metres or 45 metres because my foot's already there ready to go. Well, that's because you practice left foot braking. And I think if I were to do left foot braking, I'd have my nose on the steering wheel. Or it, it, takes, would it takes a long time to learn. Best that we teach our kids when they're young how to do it, as opposed to you and I trying to learn it when oh, we're older. Oh, but oh. I've spent a lot of time perfecting that. And it also keeps the car in balance. Whereas, of course, if we're accelerating the car, the weight is normally on the back wheels because we have our foot yep. on the throttle. As soon as we take our foot off the throttle, there's a weight transfer. The car goes to the middle. All the wheels are then balanced. And then we push the brake, and the weight goes straight onto the front wheels. Massive weight transfer causes accidents. Yeah. If, you, if your foot's already there, you can control the weight transfer. Yeah. You, I, th- I think we ought to get you going around schools doing these training lessons with the police or whatever and driving stuff. I'm actually developing the area at the back of the AMP showgrounds for doing this sort of thing. That would be cool. I've got some friends so uh, certainly every time I've done it for people uh, it has been great uh, and one of my staff members uh, I believe, haven't quite got it sorted last <laughs> weekend of February first weekend of March on a Saturday is doing mechanical training courses for women so we have been thinking about right. these things it's taken us a long time to get there but uh, we are getting there no, that would that would be really good because uh, did the ancient AP show happening this year or did that happen? This year? No, it's the grounds. I have a great piece ah. of yeah. No, that would be cool. Yeah, that would be brilliant for kids to come. Well, and maybe not so young kids to come along. Yeah, certainly the children, unless they've really learned good uh, clutch control skills, and that it can be a little bit wasted. I I don't agree with this theory of all the parents who seem to say my children must learn in a manual. What they'd be better to do is learn in an automatic, and when they have some base skills to learn about steering and braking and all the other things you need to know about, get them to learn a manual a couple of years down the road. Don't teach them in a manual straight away. You're just adding extra pressure, which is totally unneeded, but you're the missing valuable learning opportunities. Make them a better, safer driver faster. Okay. Don't confuse them with clutches. Okay. Unless you really know how to show someone a clutch, it's just a bit tricky. I do like manuals, though. Oh, I don't want the kids to Why do you manuals. like manuals? Why? Engaging. Why? 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 <laughs> because you have more sense of control, because I can change gear to the music in them. Uh, a modern automatic you I can't change the gear to the music your yes, BMW you your BMW yes, that's parked you, out there can you, you change can. gears in the I BMW know, I know, but maybe you can but what, but yes, what? You can. Yeah. No, I did, I did, uh, slower but I, and you have to pay for the worn clutches I know I know I know yeah we have we have a little bit much of a passion for manuals I believe um, however yes if you're at a racetrack a manual's probably a, well if you've got a seriously fast car, a manual's a terrible idea. Um, but for those mid-range cars, a manual's fine at the racetrack. Yep. Otherwise, mm, maybe, yep. maybe not. Well, here's, a, here's another myth about driving. Mm-hmm. It used to be that we thought we always had to change down gear when going downhill because that was the best way to brake. Oh, yeah, engine braking kind yeah, of thing. Not yeah, not right. No? Yes, it was. When you're driving, I don't know, 
an Austin Princess. No, before that. Or you know, a Datsun 1600. Datsun's probably true. The brakes were terrible. <laughs> brakes are so good now, you don't need to change down. They just won't when you're going the hill. wear out. By all means, you can, but don't think it's a good idea to brake using the engine. It's mm-hmm. not a good idea. And it will annoy people in the habitations if it's late at night as well. True, true. <laughs> so use your brakes to brake and use then change brake. down the gear without over-revving the engine. The okay. engine will last longer. Yeah. I guess, you know, we're not going to change gear faster than Porsches or Audis, electronic. Impossible, yeah. Double D clutch. It costs you about one car length at the racetrack. If you're in a fast automatic transmission car, like the PDK Porsche transmissions, you will lose one car length to that race car when it's right beside you every time you change gear. I'll just enjoy it more. That's mine. He's, he's shaking his head. No, you won't. No, you'll just be last and everybody will be laughing at you. That's well, you won't be <laughs> last. It's just a little bit more difficult. That's it's all. a little bit more difficult. So we've got through one, two, three, four, maybe four, maybe five questions. Pick and your best of the last we've questions. We've got three minutes left. Uh, what's your best last question oh, then? I might have you scratching your head. Um, da, 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 da. Hit me with the scratching of the head. Here we go. Well, I'll try and just... I'll practice. Do you sing along in the car? Very good. Do you sing along in no, the car? No, I'm a terrible singer. That was quick. You've got two minutes. That's go. good. So we've got another one then. All right. Best car ever driven. So hard. I said, I told you that would be the head scratcher. That will be the head scratcher. Best car ever. There's got to be a balance of stuff. You've got to declare your favourite. I don't know. Okay. He can't do it. He can do it. 1973 911 Porsche driving back from Christchurch, stuck in fourth gear. 300 and something horsepower, 1,000 and something kilos. Uh, a car that's do or die. Get it right, and you feel like a driving god. Get it wrong, and you're it's backwards terrible, in the terrible consequences. Oh. Um, friend's car had an issue with the gearbox. Um, uh, Synchro's had an issue. Selectors had an issue, actually, I should say. Uh, and had to drive it from Christchurch in fourth gear, which is great for most of the way, except when you've got trucks that are slowing down, camper vans, Big road hills. works. Hairpins. However, when that car was going right, <laughs> scary. Yeah. Scary. But, but amazing. But There's a few others, kind of but that was probably quite memorable. Okay. Uh, well, well that, was that just like a 3.6 thingy? Or? Yeah, so they're only normally uh, sometimes even smaller than a 3 litre. I think some of them came out with 3.2, some of them came out with smaller engines. This one had a 3.6, quite oh, modified, okay. 300 horsepower, 1,000 kilos. Very fast, scary car. Scary car. Great to drive. Left-hand drive, too. That will help you see round corners. Some corners. <laughs> 50% of the time it does, yes. Yes, 50% of the time it does. 50% of the time it doesn't. you're leaning out the passenger. Do, do we have time for one more question? No. We've got two, we haven't. No, we haven't. Oh. We've got 30 seconds left now. 30 right. seconds left. I'll, actually, I'll do one more. Either or. So this is like Stones or Beatles. Takaka Hill or the Fungamers? Takaka Hill. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's just longer. Better. It's different. It's different. Stunning views. Anyway, Adrian Curtis from Tyres and More, thank you so much. It's going to have to have a part three now. Uh, that was highly informative and highly entertaining. Thank you for listening to Drive Alive. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Drive safely. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. 
Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.